Hey, it's David Creek, and you're listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Keep Christianity Strange, part three. Psalm 27, starting in verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and who fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We live in a world of many dangers. And to anyone who would follow the one called Jesus, darkness and terror lurks in malicious pursuit of the most precious things that we've got in this world. And that is our faith, our trust, and our hope in the risen one, Jesus Christ. And just as King David found in his many hardships and and threats and dangers that he underwent in his life, so also we will find perils and dangers in our own lives. It's not so much a question of of if as much as it is a matter of when. There will be living nightmares that will occur in our lives. But we've got to understand this, though. Is that if God is our light, as the darkness begins to besiege us, there is nothing and no one for us to be afraid of. And that's because the light of God is greater than the dark of the darkness. And the light of God makes the darkness tremble in fear. And as I think about that that psalm in Psalm 27 of the people who most beautifully exemplified it in their lives. I think the most unsung example of this that we find in the word of God is Stephen. Stephen is a man who is described to us in the book of Acts as a man who was full of faith, full of joy, and full of the Holy Spirit. He's a man who was mighty in word, who God was performing miracles through in the lives of other people. And yet he comes up against a lot of opposition from all these people coming from a different number of regions. And they begin ganging up on Stephen. They try to refute what he is saying to the people concerning Christ. 
And yet Stephen is so full of the Holy Spirit that when he speaks, yes, it is his mouth, but, but it's the Holy Spirit that is being heard. And they can't refute the guy. And so the gloves come off. Darkness and opposition comes his way. And I mean, what unfolds in Stephen's life in the book of Acts is absolute darkness and terror. Or just like King David writes about in the psalm that he composed in Psalm 27, Stephen also is assailed by an army of his adversaries who decide that they are going to wage war against him. And everything that we read about Stephen is so eerily reminiscent of the sufferings of Christ where when they could not silence Stephen just as they had treated Jesus, they bring false witnesses in a room and they abet them that they are going to lie against Stephen. They even coach them about what they're going to say and specifically how they're going to lie about Stephen. We might remember how even after Jesus had been crucified and, and he rose from his grave, there were some amongst the religious leaders having whisper conversations behind closed doors, abetting with false witnesses that, that obviously this is not true, but you are to say, that you are to tell other people that his disciples came during the night and they stole his body away from his tomb. I mean, this is the kind of corruption that happens in, in governments and even in religions all the time. You are to say that they stole this or that they stole that. And it was a story that was widely believed for generations about Jesus. It was completely false. And in the same kind of way, there are these false witnesses who are abetting to, to um, slander and to lie about Stephen that, listen, you are to say that we heard Stephen blaspheming God and Moses. And so we see these accusations. And it reminds us so much of the spirit and the energy of Satan. I mean, Satan's very name means one who accuses or the accuser. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody in the church where it just seemed like all that they ever wanted to do was just accuse, accuse, accuse. We need to understand that that is the spirit and the energy of Satan infiltrating into the Lord's church. And so they're abetting to lie about Stephen, but, but then they go a step further than that. Where they begin inciting angry mobs against Stephen. And now, on this instance, amongst many of the people in this angry mob are the religious leaders. And so they arrest Stephen under no pretense. They just arrest him, just as they had arrested Jesus. And they bring Stephen on the same exact council floor that not very long ago Jesus Christ had stood upon. As they drag them into that illegal courtroom late in the night. And then all of a sudden, very officially, false witnesses come forward and begin saying that he is a blasphemer. In other words, he has been maliciously slandering God and God's holy temple. 
And if we look, I mean, it's the exact same accusations that they make against Jesus. They are perverted embellishments of what Jesus said, that, that he believes that this Jesus is going to destroy our temple and alter the customs of Moses. I mean, these are very serious accusations in this society because, I mean, God's temple was what Jewish life and Jewish religion revolved around. In a political sense, it would be like if in America somebody had been accused of wanting to bomb the Statue of Liberty or, or to burn the White House to the ground. It would make people very angry if they heard something like that. And yet you and I also need to be aware that there are horrifying dangers that are coming our way. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. But we know that there will be living nightmares that we will um, um, awake to. And that we won't be able to just snap out of. It's going to be happening in our lives. It might be a telephone call that, that a person receives late at night. And they receive horrifying news about a son or a daughter of theirs. It might be the knock of a doctor on the door as he walks inside crestfallen. And he's got bad news about that scan that he just ran on someone that he's got to report. I think for a lot of people right now, it's news reports that are growing more disturbing by the hour, it seems like. I mean, there was a terrorist bombing in Nashville just three and a half weeks ago, but these past two weeks have been so, so horrific that we forgot that that even happened in Nashville. And maybe not for all people, but for a lot of people, I, I sense that, that there's just this ominous energy that is going into this particular week. I mean, you can just feel the ominous energy. And so much more and so much more severe. This is where Stephen is right now as he hears people accusing him of things that, that he knows that he did not actually do. Ordinarily, this is a fight or a flight situation where I don't know if I need to punch somebody or if I need to run for my life, but it's just a very common human instinct to have anxiety and to have rage and to have nausea in this circumstance. And yet the reason why I am speaking about Stephen more than two millennia after the fact is because even when his enemies were encamped against Stephen, his heart was unafraid. That even though, just like King David in Psalm 27, although a war was being waged upon Stephen, he was confident in his spirit. And that's because God was his salvation. And so we see Stephen in a situation where it is absolutely horrific terror that he could undergo. I mean, his life is at stake here. And yet I want us to notice in Acts chapter 6, though, I want us to notice a very strange response to terror. Acts chapter 6 and verse 15. I want us to read this. I want us to be captured by what we read in this verse. I want us to be haunted by this verse in the days which lie ahead. 
Acts chapter 6 and verse 15, here is what Stephen's reaction is to being falsely accused and to possibly undergoing a death penalty. Where it says, in gazing at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, his accusers are trying to push him to this violent, volcanic, defensive reaction. But in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden, they are staring into the face of an angel. I mean, whenever anybody comes into contact with an angel in Scripture, just about, few exceptions, there's this ghostly aura that accompanies it. It is ordinarily a traumatic experience to come into the presence of an angel. And they all seem to, to greet whoever it is with the same opening line. <laughs> whoa, whoa, don't be afraid. Do not fear. You see, as it says in the text that they are gazing at Stephen's angelic composure here, what this word means, gazing, is that you are so mystified by whatever you are witnessing, that it is impossible to look away from it. This is the kind of reception that is accompanied by startled gasping. By thinking, I mean, what am I even looking at right now? I mean, you know, am I dreaming right now? Is this really happening? And that's because this is the exact same word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians as he speaks about Moses coming down off the mountain and the glory of God is shining upon his face. He's got divine luminosity to such an extent that they have to put a veil over his face. It's like Jesus as he's transfigured on the mountain, almost, where his face is shining as bright as the sun. It's the exact same word that is used in, in chapter 1 of Acts as, as, as angels speak to the apostles after Jesus had ascended. I have a friend who knows somebody who was out on the ocean a few years ago paddleboarding. And as they are paddleboarding on the ocean, all of a sudden from out of nowhere, there was this enormous whale that was all of a sudden underneath them in the water. I mean, like right there. And the way that they had described encountering that huge, massive, gargantuan whale from out of nowhere is we began crying because in the same heart, we had this heart-stopping fear that, oh my gosh, this thing could kill us at any moment if it wanted to. And yet also in the same moment, it is this tear-inducing beauty that, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful right now. And I believe that this is what is going on as they gaze into the face of Stephen. Like, like what is this? This is so beautiful. This is so unusual, perhaps. And yet it begs the question, though. I mean, Stephen is not an angel, though. Stephen is just an ordinary Christian man, just like we are. I mean, he's just an ordinary Christian person. And yet, what I want to impress on our minds this morning 
is that as miraculously rare as this seems and as impossible as it seems, I believe with all of my heart that this is also possible for you and for me as we live the Christian life. I believe that Stephen is showing us an alternative response to fear, to panic, and to terror where he is so overwhelmed and he has so much heavenly peace enveloping his spirits that he is emanating the radiance of God's presence in this room. This is a strange calm. This is a peculiar countenance. This is a strange and odd and unusual response to terror. I mean, this is not normal human behavior, is it? This is the kind of stuff that can only come from the throne of God. I think about Jesus as he stands with a Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and um, Pilate's like, I mean, do you realize that I can either set you free or have you put to death? How do you answer to these charges? And just like a lamb who is silent before its shears, so Jesus, the Lamb of God, kept silence. And in the eyes of Pilate, this was not a usual response to terror. I think about the ancient Christians who are written about in the book of Hebrews as the government came and they began seizing property of theirs, that they joyously said, you go right ahead and take that because I've got a greater possession and a greater home in heaven. That's a very unusual response to fear. It was a friend of mine who has since passed named George, who I went to seminary with, George Del Bosque. Little Hispanic man who was just had, 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 such a, had the most beautiful heart. We preached the word together in Brazil, but just a few years after that, his cancer returned. Only this time, he would not survive it. He would die of his cancer. But he amazed his, his physician, though, as he said that, that you just gave me the greatest news that I've ever heard in my whole life. I mean, George was smiling like, like a six-year-old child at his birthday party. The doctor said, why is this good news? And George said, because I'm about to go home and be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And in the eyes of the world, that is a strange and peculiar response to terror. And as Stephen's accusers try to incite hell from him in reaction, there's only one thing that Stephen had sought and that he wanted in this world, and it was the prayer of King David. That one thing have I asked of the Lord, this is what I will seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to seek him in his temple and to gaze upon his beauty. You see, when the people of God gaze upon his beauty, the world gazes upon the beauty of God within us. When we are emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually dwelling in the house of the Lord, even as terror unfolds in our hearts, even as living nightmares ensue in our lives, we can be like David and say, who shall I be afraid of? 
What shall I fear? And my heart is perfectly at peace right now. When we dwell in the house of the Lord as David and Stephen did, we look like Jesus. And we bring heaven down here to earth with this strange and odd an unusual, peculiar response to fear and to panic. And just as Jesus had also experienced once he had been silent before the council, so Stephen also does. As the high priest now, he orders Stephen to answer to his accusations. And isn't it funny in chapter 7 of Acts that as long as he's speaking about other people, that they let him speak all day long. I mean, Stephen has the floor. He's got their undivided attention. And yet notice what happens to Stephen for those other 30 seconds. Where he speaks about his audience. Where the one who has been wrongfully accused accurately appraises his aggressors and his accusers, where he turns that scope away from his eyes and he directs it in the other direction at their eyes. And he says in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 51, I mean, absolutely searing rebuke of the religious empire. As he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who, by the way, you have just murdered and betrayed. You who received the law as delivered by angels, and yet you did not keep it. What we see after this are two very, very different responses. And the very first re reaction that we see is the one that is a reaction that comes very natural to us as human beings. And that is the response of the world. Where in verse 54 it says that now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at Stephen. I mean, we got to understand that nobody was supposed to give voice to these people's sins. You were only allowed to speak about how all of those prostitutes and tax collectors were such horrible sinners. But you were never allowed to expose how, how the religious empire was living in, in rebellion towards God. And so the way that they re are responding to Stephen is they are gnashing teeth at him. This is what people do in hell. Where there is just so much unresolved rage and hypocrisy in their souls that they are literally living with hell in their hearts. And so what they do in response is they do what hateful religious nationalists do when they don't get their way. They resort to murder and to corruption and to violating the very law that they claim to uphold. You see, 
as they are just about to stone Stephen to death and to kill him, they are violating commandment number six. Thou shall not kill. We also need to understand that as they, they are going to stone Stephen, as well as all this other stuff, they are doing exactly what God hates the most. Where it says in the book of Proverbs that there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, they've got that. Lying tongues, they've got that. Hands that shed innocent blood, it's happening right now in the text. Hearts that devise wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run into evil. And then how about this one? A false witness who utters lies. I mean, they are, are so enraged that, that they're doing exactly what God hates the most. Amen. And yet they are also so furious with Stephen that they're even violating Roman law as they execute somebody without their approval. And we look at the sufferings of Jesus, and this is exactly what this same religious empire did in their anger and wrath and hypocrisy. As they even had a man who was guilty of a violent and deadly insurrection and said, no, we don't need Jesus. We would rather have Barabbas, the insurrectionist, than to have Jesus, the Lamb of God. And they embraced the insurrectionist and they crucified the Son of God. And so what Stephen is saying to them is that you are so stubborn Yes, you have a pedigree that, that says that you are God's nation, but you are not God's people where it matters, which is in the heart, with ears with which to hear. He's saying that your forefathers killed the prophets who announced the, the arrival of the Messiah. And by the way, you just murdered the Messiah himself. And while I'm at it, Stephen says... You're not even keeping the law that you have claimed that you have mastered. And let's note that they are, are murdering Stephen in the streets. After just moments ago, they were awestruck by his angelic composure. They crucified the Son of God, and now they are crucifying someone who looks like an angel from heaven. And so that is one reaction that we see. But, but once again, Stephen brings us back to, to what else can be possible from God's people. Where we see an even stranger response than before coming from Stephen. Where Stephen says in verse 55, and I want us all to notice how, how all of this is happening. It's not because he is some superhero. But it's because in verse 55 it says, but it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. This is how it happens. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I mean, I don't know if this is um, a vision that he's having. I don't know if he slipped into a trance, but, but he sees the heavens opened. And notice he sees Jesus not sitting, but he's standing at the right hand of God. Jesus makes a similar statement as he stands before this exact same Sanhedrin. Verse 57, 
As he says this, it says that they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at Stephen. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And yet notice his his reaction even as they're killing him in verse 59. Where it says that as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, it says he fell asleep. Notice now Stephen is the one who is gazing at the glory of God. I mean, he's so fixated on the things above and on the throne of God and of the house of the Lord that he's now literally seeing it with his own eyes. And yet as they are killing him, though, this is most eerily reminiscent to Christ of all. We remember as Jesus is being crucified on the cross, his worst enemies, religious leaders, are are mocking him and cursing him out and trying to humiliate him. What is Jesus doing as they're doing all of this? Father, do not hold this sin against them. And then, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And in the same exact way, Stephen's dying words is a benediction of blessing for his killers. Even though Stephen was under nightmarish and horrific horror and terror, his his heart and his attitude is, what can man do to me? Yes, oh, you know, they're able to kill the body. Yes, I'll give them that. They, They can kill the body if they want to. But they can't touch my soul. You know, they can't separate me from the love of Christ. They can't shake the kingdom of heaven. And so in closing this morning, however our our fear and our terror comes to us, whether we are going through it right now or it is yet to come to us, I think for a lot of people in the world right now, this week is very ominous for them. They are hearing a lot of warnings in the news that this could be a very dangerous and a very dark week in the history of our country. Maybe that won't be the case at all. We don't know, but God knows. Maybe others of you have a doctor's appointment coming up and you don't know what the tests are going to reveal. You don't know, but God knows. Whatever is in pursuit of our peace, and of our joy in the risen one, Jesus. I just want to invite us to a couple of things in the days ahead that we see from the example of Stephen. Is that as we feel the darkness begin to besiege us, whatever that darkness happens to be, that we remember this phrase and these words, God is with me. God is near me. And God is within me. At behind every danger and every threat of ours, there is a cross. 
There is a tomb with a stone rolled out from the front, and there is a throne of God that is high above that. Concentrate on that more than anything else. Make that the only thought on our minds as we feel and sense that darkness. And then lastly, the words of the old hymn. Cast your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In our bulletins, I have a quote by a Dutch watchmaker and an author whose name was Corrie ten Boom. And what she writes, I believe, was Stephen's heart as all of this unfolded in his life. Where she says that in, if you look at the world, you're going to be distressed. If you concentrate within, you're going to be depressed. And yet if you fix your eyes upon Jesus and concentrate on his peace, then your soul will be at rest. My brothers and sisters, let's keep Christianity strange. One thing have I asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to seek the God in his temple, and to gaze upon his beauty. My friends, if we will live in this way, and we will gaze upon the throne of God, and upon the things above in our distress, we will find a world that is gazing at God's beauty within us, just as they had gazed upon the face of Stephen. My brothers and sisters, let's be angels in this world for Jesus.